I can stand in a field that I know so deeply looking after animals that I'm really connected to. I can listen to the sounds, the smells, like it is a workplace experience that no one else gets and I love it. It's just so rewarding for me. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. Nick Holliday runs Belvedere Farm in the Sunshine Coast hinterland in Queensland. His family has a farming background, but Nick was a lawyer and union organiser before buying a property he originally thought would be a fun weekender. Working alongside his wife, Bridie, their approach goes beyond regenerative farming to agroecological principles, with building community key to the approach. It's about beef, pork and eggs, but it's also about land care, engagement with Indigenous owners and systems change. I'm Nick Holliday. My wife, Bridie, and I run Belvedere Farm, which is a little patch of owned and also leased Jinnabara country in the Sunshine Coast hinterland of Queensland. So look, our our little valley here of of 20 acres that we own at Belvedere um, is, you know, really this, this land has been... I guess, abused throughout its history since colonisation in the the mid-1800s. It's been a banana plantation, a dairy farm, a pine plantation, a beef cattle property. Um, We bought it in 2014 um, in a a relatively run-down and untouched or unimproved sort of a state and um, commenced basically educating ourselves about holistic plant grazing, um, about ecosystem restoration, about water cycles, and eventually learnt how to provide food for people and build community here. We also um, we also lease some land. Uh, we lease two blocks of, of farms, um, of both of about 80 acres, um, about five minutes drive up the road towards Mullaney. Those are those are both former dairy farms and um, had been not used to grow food for decades before we before we took over the lease and they'd um, blown up in woody weeds and other invasive species and were generally just a nightmare for their owners. And uh, we're now using those agroecological principles to heal that land and produce food uh, on properties we don't own as well. I grew up on a farm. Um, I am actually a fourth generation farmer and I hope to be the, f- the first farmer in my family to actually hand the family farm on to the next generation. My people were peasant farmers in Russia and then sharecropper cane farmers uh, in Bundaberg and then, um, you know, essentially what, what amounted to sort of back-to-the-land style permaculturalists and hobby farmers on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I went and got a law degree and worked in law firms. I was a union organiser for a long time and, um, more recently, um, I work for a community organisation that advocates on behalf of farmers. Um, and, you know, when I, uh, when I bought this property, I thought, well, you know, this will be a nice weekend. This is a lifestyle choice for me. Um, you know, we'll come and visit it on weekends while living the white-collar city life. And, um, you know, my life changed quite dramatically for a number of reasons uh, back sort of seven or eight years ago. And I thought if I don't move to the farm now, I never will. So I did that. And then once I was here, it felt like less of a hobby. You know, I had some beef cattle. I had some chickens. I was feeding people in my community, family and friends. And I thought, you know, perhaps 
perhaps this is actually something that I can do full time. And essentially every decision we've taken since then has been about supporting that. And we're, we're very nearly there now, which is um, really exciting for me. The hub of Belvedere Farm is the home patch that Nick runs as a holistic grazing operation. Cattle graze at high density for short periods, followed by chickens, creating a natural ecosystem of fertilising, earth turning, pest control and food production. The home farm is 20 acres, it's relatively steep. There's a creek that runs down the centre of it that we've spent a lot of time revegetating and slowing the water in. Um, you know, and it's gorgeous now. You know, that creek runs clear for weeks on end when it rains. Um, We've got um, all of our paddocks are set up for a holistic planned grazing system. So basically what that means is we put our cattle into particular areas at high density for a day and then move them on to a new pasture, uh, all controlled with mobile electric fences. And what that means is when they go into a pasture, they eat absolutely everything. They trample absolutely everything. They poop all over absolutely everything. And then they move on they don't come back to that spot for at least 100 days. What that means is that high impact then has an opportunity to recover and we get the most amazing pasture here. It just looks incredible. Behind those cattle uh, follows a flock of chickens, um, which is sort of a natural ecosystem process that a lot of farmers use these days um, where they go through and scratch through all the cow pats and eat up all the grubs and worms and things like that. That means that we don't have significant fly problems on the cattle, which allows us to not use as many chemicals as a farmer in our area otherwise would. So it's like a really lovely ecosystem process that also produces heaps of eggs, which is wonderful. And then on the farms that we lease, there's um, a couple of herds of pasture-raised pigs. They're heritage breed Berkshire pigs that two really great breeders um, breed for us and we buy weaned piglets, they move into an area of woody weeds and lantana and wild tobacco, stuff that gives landholders around here absolute nightmares really because you've got to spend money and spray chemicals and time and heavy machinery to deal with. We push down a little bit of it with a tractor. We put a mobile electric fence around it. We turn the pigs out. They plough it up, incorporate all of those weeds back into the soil, build incredible soil organic matter. Then we move them out of there to the next spot and plant diverse cover crops and grasses where those pigs were because it amounts to a ploughed field. And through that process, we've turned about 20 acres of woody weeds back into beautiful pasture and we've only got about another 150 acres to go. All farmers are part of a system of inputs, outputs and markets. But when you don't like the system, how do you engage with farming in a satisfying and rewarding way? At Belvedere Farm, the philosophy that underpins their practices is agroecology, which puts the social and community elements of food production at its heart. We, we practice agroecology, so which is a, the art and science of producing food as part of an ecosystem and as part of a community. So what that looks like in practice is that we provide grass-fed beef, pasture-raised heritage breed pork and pasture-raised eggs to a community-supported agriculture collective, a couple of Rayco markets and some really cool local restaurants and cafes. You know, agroecology is a term that's been around for a long time. We, uh, we tend to use it 
to set ourselves apart from, I guess, people who just refer to Regen Ag, for instance. Now, regenerative agriculture has done wonderful things uh, for farming in Australia, but the reason that we set ourselves apart from that is that we think that a lot of people who talk about regenerative agriculture don't consider the social and community and political element of what we do. We think it's not it's not good enough that we just, you know, do great things on this little bit of country that we control, that we provide really high-quality food to people, that we look after animals really well. We are about the systems change that's necessary to make sure that everyone everywhere can do what we do and can enjoy the food that we produce. It looks like to us doing things like launching a community-supported agriculture collective. So what that what that means is that we've got a community of 20 eaters, 20 families, that's about to expand to a community of 80 families later this year. Um who once a month get a box of the best of our produce from that particular month. They pay a monthly subscription six months in advance and um, they're not just buying food from us. They are actually participating in our farm. They are making decisions about what we grow. They're making decisions about what cuts of meat that we produce. They are supporting us in advance. They're, they're really buying into the whole system. So that's a, that's a really important part of what we do. But uh, another thing that, that we're really focusing on at the moment is a mutual aid program. We don't feel like we are going to change the world by selling $15 dozens of eggs to rich folks in inner city Brisbane who can afford $15 dozens of eggs. We think that absolutely everybody in our community should be able to access good, agroecologically grown, chemical-free, healthy, nutrient-dense food and you know, really achieve that food sovereignty that we often talk about. And the way that, the way that we're doing that is that um, – We've actually crowdfunded about $10,000 and that will be used to produce food and then distribute it to people in our community who otherwise wouldn't have access to it. Being a small farmer isn't easy. Time-consuming tussles and red tape wrangling often ruin the romance. What kinds of situations has Nick encountered and what has he done about it? I was fortunate to be blessed with a pretty loud voice um, and no particular fear of authority. And small-scale agroecological farmers run into barriers with powerful organisations all of the time. Our, our most recent example of this is a tussle that we had with the Queensland Rural and Industry Development Authority who determined that because I still work two days a week off-farm for a, for a community organisation, that I am not a real farmer. And they denied us assistance with a flood recovery grant when our farm got hammered by the, the rains earlier this year. So we immediately launched a community campaign. Our supporters wrote hundreds of letters and made dozens of phone calls to ministerial officers and um, we got a win in the end. We finally were considered to be farmers by the Rural and Industry Development Authority, which was a great win for us. But what we need to do now is make sure that no one has to fight that battle ever again. Uh, the first step that we've taken in that is we've had contact from dozens of people who were also knocked back for the same grant, and we've provided them with a great deal of assistance about how to work that system and get what they deserve. But ultimately, we need this. We need this rule changed. We need the the way that farmers are classified under these systems to change to actually take account of the way that food is grown in the modern era. So um, that's a, a battle that continues, basically. The principles of food sovereignty are top of mind at Belvedere Farm. Nick isn't just feeding people; 
He's working to change the way people grow, produce, collaborate and access food in Australia. Things would be much better and healthier if the voices of small farmers and engaged eaters were heard. I've actually just finished up my term as the Vice President of the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. I've only, um, I've only given that up because my wife and I are actually expecting a baby in September of this year. And what the, the Food Sovereignty Alliance talks about is good, nutritious food, accessible by everyone in a democratically determined process. So... There's a lot in that statement, but you know what that what that means to me, and what I particularly notice about when I when I what I particularly notice when I look at food systems in Australia is the lack of a democratic determination bias. So if everyone got together, all 24 million of us got together and said, "Well, we don't really care about animal welfare. We don't really care about nutrient dense food." We don't really care about the effluent produced by a chicken farm. We don't really care about the terrible labour conditions of workers in industrial chicken farms. We don't care about the fact that my local town that's just down the road from my farm stinks on still nights. We don't care about any of that. What we really want is a $3 roast chook. If we all got together and said all of those things and we had a genuine crack at saying that, I'd give up and go home. I'd go and, I'd go and build a big shed and put 10,000 chickens in it. But actually no one got together and made that decision. Um, the system, Woolies, Carl's, Sunny Queen Eggs, all of, the, all of the big processes, all of the big supply chains determined that for us and that's the choice that we got to make. So what I want to see is the voice of small-scale farmers and the voice of eaters uplifted in this system so that we actually have a real chance of getting a food system that's worth having. If everyone was farming the way that we farmed and we did a few other smart things like increased links between producers, I mean, unfortunately, small-scale farming in Queensland, in Australia, worldwide, yeah, Western worldwide, I should say, um, is full of sort of rugged individualists who want to do their own thing. If we collaborated as small-scale producers, you know, shared costs, shared transport logistics, you know, rather than rather than me running a little cool room down to Brisbane on the same highway as 10 other producers on the same day every week, if we all collaborated and bought a fridge truck and paid someone to drive it, if we bought a feed mill, if we collaboratively and collectively owned a butcher's shop or an abattoir, if we did stuff like that, we would actually have the power to provide a real alternative. And then we wouldn't be out there selling the $15 a dozen eggs. We would be part of a great big ecosystem that was capable of feeding the nation while also looking after country and people. That's, that's sort of what I'm most excited about. Uh, it's not good enough to just say, oh, well, I reckon consumers should make better choices. You know, it's about educating people about ethical food. Because as educated as a consumer might be, when all Woolies is throwing them is the choice between a cage egg, a barn laid egg and an industrial free range egg, we are not a real alternative. So it's not the, it's not the consumer's fault that uh, agroecology hasn't taken off to the extent that it should have. It's, uh, it's about systems and we've just got to keep working to change those systems. Being a small farmer is engaging and rewarding, but it's definitely not easy. What are some of the challenges Nick faces at Belvedere Farm? It's one of the, the things about um, being a small-scale farmer 
you don't have a break room at work that you can walk into and complain to your colleagues about how terrible your day was or share a success or whatever. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have some farmer friends in Queensland who do what I do. And we're in a group chat and we were only talking about this in our sort of virtual lunchroom the other day. Farming the way that we farm is the most rewarding thing a human could ever do, I reckon, but comes with it incredible stresses and pressure. Uh, it's a really interesting dynamic. So, you know, when I'm out rolling up an electric fence and moving the cattle and, you know, watching them slowly move into a new bit of fresh pasture, first thing in the morning, the birds are chirping, I can hear them chomping on the grass. That is just my favourite time of day. But what might happen next is I'll drive over to the lease block and find that the pigs are out on the main road and have to spend an hour running around in the rain and mud putting them back in or there's a breakdown and I can't get chicken feed in or whatever. Um, so it's an interesting job. It is a really interesting job and it's very rewarding, but it's the hardest I've ever worked in my whole life. I didn't last very long as a lawyer. <laughs> um, I loved working with clients, but I hated, I hated working in law firms. Um, I am not someone who ever wants to put myself in a competitive environment. I want to collaborate with people. I want to lift people up. Uh, I don't want to compete with my colleague for uh, the most billable hours. You know, I want to see another farmer succeed. I want to give someone a piece of advice that they really value. I want to hand someone the best dozen eggs they've ever eaten. That's, uh, that's what gets me going. Every Australian farmer is on Aboriginal land, but engaging with that truth is rare. Nick has repatriated a portion of his land to Jinnabara people. What is the intention and commitment and what might the outcomes be? On this particular slice of Jinnabara country, it is a very, very direct relationship. This valley was colonised in the mid 1800s. I bought this farm off the family that selected it in the mid 1800s. So between Jinnabara people managing this land for 40 plus thousand years and me, there's only one other surname. So it felt very immediate to me when I bought this place. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to explore my relationship with that, my relationship with benefiting from that colonization. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to meet a local culture man, uh, a Jinnabara elder, and have some really important conversations. And what that's actually led to is that we've repatriated a slice of this farm, uh, which means that we have given it back to Jinnabara people. That is not recorded in a formal lease because we've got a whole bunch of philosophical objections to formalising that type of thing. It is based on concepts of traditional law, concepts of reciprocity, mutual obligation and relationship, basically. So Jinnabara mob have got 24-7, 365 days a year ongoing access to a patch of this country and uh, they can do with it what they want to. At the moment, it's being used uh, for people just to get out and access land and sing up country and practice culture. In the future, we might have even more exciting, <clears throat> excuse me, even more exciting collaborations where we can do, oh, goodness, anything, making, growing native foods, making a home here, anything. Um, but what we're really committed to is not being benevolent directors of that process. Um, we will take our lead from mob about, about what we do here. It's about, it's about relationships. 
you know, it's a, it's about that really genuine relationship because, like, I mean, yeah, everyone acknowledges country and things like that, but I, be, I believe very literally that this is stolen country and the Jinnabara mob were here first. And, um, you know, we've got to take these brave and uncomfortable steps to start righting some of those wrongs. And I mean, I don't think I don't think it's an individual's responsibility to fix colonialism. That's that's nuts. But um, I do think it's an individual's responsibility to do what you can um, to make a future that's worth having. Nick's original notion of a weekender has shifted, but he's still working off farm too. What are his plans for the future? And is he creating opportunities for the next generation? I, I, I really want to be a full-time farmer. I know I can do this. I know I'm good at feeding people. Um, the economics of it remain questionable, which I think anyone who's fed and came about small-scale agroecology is asking questions about whether they're being fairly rewarded for the hard work that they put in. Um, but yeah, look, we've got a plan to expand our community-supported agriculture program to the point where I can quit my day job and be on the farm 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And um, that's probably not too far off, which is super exciting for us. I would never put pressure on our yet-to-be-born son to become a farmer like I want to be. But what I do want to make sure is that if he wants to take on this farm in 30 years' time, there is a viable farm here for him to do that. And, you know, that's, that's what hasn't been the case for previous generations of my family, you know. I mean, unfortunately, because of all those structural issues that we talked about before, because the terms of trade are so poor, because it is so unprofitable, because it is an isolating job, it's often not an attractive thing for the next generation to go into. Um, so I really think this systems change that we talk about here, about being more collaborative, about being more connected to your consumer, uh, about being a profitable business, frankly, as well, those are the things that will make it possible for another generation to take on this farm. Um, and that's why I'm working really hard on that systems change stuff at the moment. My wife and I are both terrible market gardeners. So we've, we've tried variously to grow corn crops and things like that and have not done a particularly good job of it. But um, we do actually... Um, we, um, we've got a little bit of council land out the front of our property that uh, council don't maintain. So in the spirit of stolen land around here, we stole it back and we grew a commercial crop of garlic on it a couple of years ago, which went really well. And we're currently growing a big crop of pumpkins for our CSA members on it. Um, so, I mean, you know, we really, we really want to do lots of different things and find what we enjoy and find what we're good at and, like, most importantly, find what the land wants. Um you know, we could plough up the front paddock and plant wheat or whatever, but the land doesn't want that. So we're just conducting these little experiments at the moment to, to work out our future directions, I guess. Belvedere Farm is certainly no picnic, but Nick knows he's made the right decision to be here. What does he love about life on the land? I can stand in a field that I know so deeply looking after animals that I'm really connected to, watching a wedge-tailed eagle soar overhead, watching a grey fantail hop from leaf to leaf, picking up bugs. I can listen to the sounds, the smells. Like, it is a workplace experience that no one else gets, and I love it. It's just so rewarding for me. From lawyer and union organiser to cattle, pig and chicken farmer, Nick Holiday has forged a career change that's also a lifestyle 180. 
Threaded through his life and work is a commitment to community, systems change, and authentic engagement with the elements that make life rich, meaningful, and connected. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.